Now, Matthew chapter 4. Let's turn there. If you've been here in recent weeks, you know we've been talking about three must-win battles that every Christian is going to face. And whether you're 9 or 19 or 90, these are things that you're going to struggle with. You need to know what these battles are and, and Jesus' strategy for being victorious in these battles. We said that the first battle is the battle to refuse the temptation to refuse to wait on God. So sometimes when we have a need, when we have an itch, God wants us to wait on him to provide for us. And that can be hard to do. That can be difficult because we want to scratch our own itch. We want to meet our own needs. And so temptation number one is this temptation to neglect, to wait on God. Temptation number two is the temptation to trivialize sin. Oftentimes we, we are so focused on the grace and the mercy of God, which is, of course, a wonderful thing to be focused on, but we are so focused on God's grace and mercy that we think we can just go ahead and sin anyway because God's going to forgive us, and it makes us make sin a minor issue. We trivialize sin. That's temptation number two. Well, today I want you to see the most difficult temptation, temptation number three, and I want us just to begin reading in verse eight. So Jesus has been fasting in the desert for 40 days. He's tired, he's alone, he's hungry, he's weak. Satan comes to him, three temptations. The third one begins in verse eight. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Now. This is, as I said, the most difficult temptation because Satan is offering Jesus everything. He, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I will give you all of this if you worship me. I'll give you everything. I'll give you all the stuff. I'll give you all the authority. I will give you all the acclaim. I will give you everything. There's not anything I won't give to you. Jesus, if you will worship me, I will give you everything. Now, why is, why is that even a temptation? Why, why couldn't Jesus just have accepted that? I mean, that seems like a pretty good deal. If you're going to give me everything, then, then there's nothing else that I want. And, and Satan, at least in his understanding of his authority, uh, he was offering Jesus everything. But Jesus said, and we'll see it in the next verse, but don't read it yet. <laughs> uh, Jesus is going to say, there's one thing, though, that is more important, that is more valuable than everything. Jesus is going to say, you can take everything and put it in a pile. You can take all the wealth and all of the privilege and all the authority and all of the honor and all the acclaim, and you can put it in a pile. And there's something that's not in that pile that is worth more than the whole pile. There's one thing, there's something better than everything. And you know what it was? It is the glory of God. And we're going to see it in the next verse, but don't, don't get there until we get there. But Jesus is going to say, no, there's something more important than getting something. There, there's something more important than getting everything, and that is that I might bring glory to God. That's more important than everything. The temptation here was for Jesus to make everything about himself, to, to make everything about satisfying his own desires, to fulfilling his own needs ahead of bringing honor and glory to God. It, it, it was all about 
himself. And so we're tempted when, when, when we want to put ourselves ahead of the glory of God. And, and that's really the world that we live in today. We, we, we say we live in a me generation. You ever heard that before? What, what does it mean that we live in a me generation? It, it, it means that everything's about me. In my life, in your life, the temptation is that we just make everything about us, about what we get and what we enjoy and what are our desires. Everybody's looking out for number one. Everybody's talking about, I want to make sure my rights are protected. Like, like the whole world's about me and my rights. Everybody wants to talk about what I deserve. You know, e even in Christianity, this is snuck into the American church in, in a lot of ways because we want feel-good worship, we want self-help sermons, and we want self-actualized service. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. We, we want worship that, that makes us feel good. And, and people will evaluate how good worship is by whether or not it makes them feel good. Now, now who does that make worship about? That makes worship about us. We, we, we like sermons if they make us feel good, or we like sermons if they help us to live a better life. Well, pastor, I'll enjoy the sermon if you tell me how to overcome stress. I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy the sermon if you tell me how to have a better marriage. And so, see, even the preaching of the truth of God's word about the character and the holiness of God, we have changed that to what's in it for me. We like to serve, but how do we like to serve? We like to serve in a way that fulfills us. See, we've even made service about us. And so in a lot of ways, we've, we've just already given into this third temptation, this temptation to make everything about us and not about the glory of God. Now, I want you to see Jesus' reply. And so he's being tempted. Satan says, I'll give you everything. Jesus says, well, there's something outside of everything that's even more important. And, and notice what he says in verse 10. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus said, Satan, it's not about what you can give me. My life is not about what I can get. My life is about worshiping the Lord. He said, Satan, it's not about me being satisfied. It's about me worshiping the Father. And, and, and by the way, that is the theme of all of Scripture. Did you know that? If you just read through the Bible, what's the main point of the Bible? It is that we should glorify God. That more important than anything else is that we should glorify God. Let me, let me share some verses. We can show these to you on the screen. Just a survey of the theme of Scripture. First Chronicles 16, 28, and 29. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What's life about? About bringing glory to God. Look at 1 Corinthians. We go to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the what? For the glory of God. We could go to Matthew 5, 16, the words of Christ. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. Do you see a theme here? Psalm 115.1, I love this verse. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because you are your faithful love and because of your truth. See, the whole 
The whole point of life is, is not to get what we can get, is not to satisfy our desires. The whole point of life is to bring glory to God. And that's what scripture says from beginning to end. Let, let me show you some ways we get this mixed up. Can I do that? Let me show you some practical ways that we trip up with the same temptation to make life about ourselves instead of the glory of God. When you struggle with a temptation, this is number one, when you struggle with a temptation, you're tempted to do something, to say something, to go somewhere, to look at something. When you struggle with temptation and you find yourself saying, I deserve this. You ever done that? With the week I've had, I deserve this. With the, with the frustration I have to put up with my husband, I deserve this. Right? As tired as I am, I deserve this. With as badly as things are going at work, I deserve this. Now, when you, when you are tempted and your response to temptation is, I deserve this, what have you done? You're putting yourself ahead of the glory of God. Because temptation's not primarily about whether you can do this or you deserve this. Temptation is about, are you about to bring glory to God or are you about to put yourself in the center of the universe, right? So anytime you say, I, I deserve this in the face of temptation, you're, you're putting yourself ahead of the glory of God. I'll give you an, another example. When your prayers consist primarily of praying that God will make your life easier. When your prayers are primarily about how God can make your life easier, you've put yourself ahead of the glory of God. I, I'm afraid this, this uh, should convict most of us, right? Because our prayers, for, for the most part, are, are God make me healthy and keep my kids safe and give me plenty of money and give me the job that I want. And, and, and most of our prayers are just about how our lives can be easier. And, and it's good to pray for those things. Those aren't bad things to pray for. Certainly pray for your health and pray for your kids' safety. Absolutely. But when 95% of our praying is just about God making us happier, then what have we done? We've put ourselves ahead of the glory of God. The most important thing in the world is not that I'm happy. The most important thing in the world is that he is glorified. Another thing, we, uh, when we complain about a worship song, where's, now, I haven't been here, Andre, long enough for anybody to complain to me. And, and by the way, I have to be here five years before the first complaint can come. So um, just, but, so I don't know if this has ever happened. I don't know what happened once or twice at my, at my previous churches. So, so somebody uh, complains about a worship song and their complaint sounds like this. You know, that song just didn't lift me up. Okay, what, what, have we, what have we done? We are putting ourselves ahead of the glory of God. Newsflash, we weren't singing to you anyway. <laughs> now, I, I hope our worship is uplifting, and it is uplifting, but, but that's not the point of worship, right? We put our, ourselves ahead of the glory of God when we prepare for retirement more then we invest in the kingdom of God. I know some people, they check their retirement account and their strategy 16 times a week. They never give a thought to how they're investing in the kingdom of God. Well, we're putting ourselves ahead of God's glory. 
We're putting ourselves first when we're more concerned with what our friends think about us than with what our friends think about God. I hear it all the time. Well, if I do that, what will my friends think about me? Well, I don't know what your friends will think about you. But the more important question is, what will your friends think about God? His glory is the focus. We we put ourselves ahead of the glory of God when we make education and career choices all about how we will make the most money or be the happiest instead of making career and education choices based on how we can make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God, right? We have put ourselves ahead of the glory of God when we're more concerned about our kids' success in sports, in academics, and in social life than we are concerned about them being a signpost for the Lord. That's where our concern ought to be. So so you see how we face the same temptation that Satan faced to put ourselves first and the glory of God last. But Jesus said, Satan, there's not anything you could possibly give me that would be more important than me worshiping the glory of God. And so he said, no. Now, how can we have the same commitment to the glory of God that Jesus did? Well, I, I think there are three things you need to know about the glory of God. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go tell you three things you ought to know. And I think when you know these things, you, or when you're reminded of these things, you, you will, this is gonna change your heart. It's changed my heart just this week studying them. So three things you ought to know, one thing you ought to do. This is real simple this morning. Three things you ought to know about the glory of God, one thing you ought to do about the glory of God. So the first thing we should know is this. Ultimately, the glory of God is the only thing that matters. It is the absolute only thing that matters. Did you, did you know that before, uh, before there was anything, I mean, before there was a, a, a Nacogdoches, Texas. I know we're the oldest city in Texas, but there was something before Nacogdoches, right? So before there was a Nacogdoches, before there was an earth, before there was a, a universe, there was God and his glory. And, and, and the only thing that is independent is God and, and his glory. You know, the original... Or, or, a word for glory, the original word for glory. Uh, glory is sort of a hard word sometimes to define. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and uh, you don't really care about that, but let me tell you what that word means. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, kabod means weight, your weight. And so when it says the glory of God, it, it could be literally translated the weight of God. Now, what, what, what does that mean? God doesn't have a weight. You know, how many pounds does he weigh? You can't measure God like that. But, but, but what it's referring to is just the, the significance of God, the weightiness, the, the value of God, the magnificence of God, the splendor of God. Of God. The, the glory is, there's God, but, but then his importance, his his. His weightiness, that's his glory. And, and, and before there was anything, there was God, and not as an independent thing, but as a characteristic of God, there was God and there was his importance, his significance, his eternality. His, it was God. 
Okay? And everything now that's created is an expression and an indicator of his glory. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. When God created something, when God created the universe, it was an expression of his glory. When God flung the stars into into space, they spoke to the glory of God. If we were to say, God, show us your glory, he would point to what he has made. Everything he has made is an expression of his glory, and it's an indicator of his glory. Your life is an indicator of the glory of God. At least that's the plan. When you see a flower bloom, that's a reminder of the glory of God. When you see the Blue Ridge Mountains, I drove through the Blue Ridge Mountains or part of them uh, this week. That, that, is, that is an indicator, it's an expression of and an indicator of the glory of God. Nothing matters except God and his glory. I was just meditating on this this week and reading through scripture. And uh, I, I, it, here's what I learned. The glory of God is the answer to every question. Every question you can ask, the answer is the glory of God. Let let me show you. Why did God create the heavens? Well, Psalm 19.1 says the heavens were created to declare the glory of God. Hmm. Well, why did God create the earth? Psalm 145, 11 and 12 says, God created the earth to speak to the splendor and the glory of God. Why were we created? Well, Philippians 2, 11, so that every tongue would confess the glory of God. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Now let's think about this because the first answer you think about is Jesus came to earth to save sinners. And is that why he came to earth? No. Listen, before you just run out the back door. Jesus didn't come to the earth to save sinners. He came to the earth and he did save sinners, but the motivation to come to the earth was different from that. And and it says so in John 17, four, it's an interesting verse. At the end of the verse, he says, I've, he says to the father, I've accomplished what you have sent me to do. And then at the beginning of the verse, he says what he was sent to do. And listen to what it says to glorify you on earth. Why did Jesus come? To glorify the Father. It it wasn't, I don't want to burst your bubble, it it wasn't really about you or me. It was about the glory of God. I just got an amen, okay? (laughs) Why does God save us from our sin? Ephesians 1.12, so that we would bring praise to his glory. What is the ultimate goal of history? Habakkuk 2.14, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. There is nothing that matters except God and his glory. Do you know the story of Stephen? He was one of the very first deacons. And, And Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, he had spoken up about the resurrection of Christ. And so the people were going to stone him. They did stone him to death. You know, it's interesting that uh, the stoning of the deacons is, is never something that we do in Bible school. Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to have to talk to Melanie about that. It's never a cantata. So we got any cantatas about deacons being stoned? But, but that was the, the first thing. So, this, so Stephen is they're throwing rocks at him with the intent to kill him. And so God has an opportunity to do something, right? I mean, you'd think now 
God, you've got an opportunity to really show out. These people are stoning Stephen because he dared say that Jesus rose from the grave. So what's God going to do? I know if I were Stephen, I'd have been praying, God, you need to give me a football helmet or something. You, you, you got to rescue me from this. But God decided to do something even better. And so in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, they're throwing rocks at Stephen, the big rocks. And Stephen looks up to heaven, and what does God do? It says that God revealed his glory to Stephen. That, that was better than anything. Stephen got to look up and see the glory of God. See, all of life is about the glory of God. Christians have been given one primary task in response to our salvation. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price. You know this verse? You were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. That's what God has saved us to do. So that, that's the first thing you need to know. Ultimately, the glory of God is the only thing that matters. The second thing you need to know about glory is that God's glory is not determined by your quality of life. Now, you got to listen close on this because this is easy to get confused, and this may surprise you. God's glory is not determined by your quality of life. Have you ever seen those puzzles? If you've got kids, you've seen this, where they have pictures down the left side of a piece of paper and pictures down the right side of a piece of paper, and then you match up the pictures that correspond. So maybe on one side you've got a monkey, a horse, and a dog. Okay, you got it in your mind? A monkey, a horse, and a dog. And on the right side, you've got hay, a bone, and bananas. Okay, so what do you match with what? Well, you match the monkey with the bananas. Okay, good. And uh, the dog with the bone and the horse with the hay. And so you understand that those correlate. Now, here's the, here's the bad thing. People think that all of life works like that. And so they think that on one hand, you've got that God is good and that God is glorious, and that you can match that with God, God's, God answers my prayers and takes care of my life. And, and so what, what we end up thinking, we have to be careful because we'll say something and end up believing something that's just not true. We'll say that because, because God is good and because God is glorious, then I will have answered prayer and life will be easy. But the Bible never draws that line. The Bible does not connect God's goodness and God's glory with the quality of our lives. And so you hear people say things like this. Um, well, I was healed of cancer or I got a job that I always wanted or I got a break that I didn't deserve. So, now here, listen to this. God is so good. Now, is that true or false? Well, yes and no. It is true that God is good. But it would have also been true that God is good if your child had died of cancer. God still would have been good. It, had you not gotten the job. I remember hearing Max Licato tell a story. Do you know who Max Licato is? A Christian author. And a true story uh, about, and I may not have all the details, it's been several years since I've read this, but uh, I think I have the details right. He, he was home studying one day, he has a study in his home, and he hears his wife scream, and he runs to the backyard where there's a swimming pool, and his daughter, I think one of his daughters, I think he has several, uh, was laying floating face down in the pool as if she had drowned. And so he grabs his daughter, gets her out of the water, and they begin to do life 
you know, life rescuing techniques, whatever you do. And um, after a, a minute, uh, she spits up water, she starts to breathe, and she is revived, she is resuscitated, she, she's okay. And, uh, you know, as a dad, I, I mean, I get emotional when I just think about this. He, he says he went back to his study and he got down on his knees and he started praying, oh God, you are so good. You are so good. He said, but then it struck him. No, God would have been good even if his daughter would have died in the pool. You see, we've got to learn the lesson that God's glory is not determined by our quality of life. God, God is glorious and deserves to be worshiped and honored no matter what happens in our lives. Now, the third thing, very quickly, is that, is that God's glory is not in competition with your joy. Uh, it's not as if God is honored so you will be injured. It's not an either-or thing. It's not... if. If God is honored, then, I, you know, I, then I've got to go through some sort of misery in, in life. Uh, no, the truth is that when we honor God, when, when our lives are focused on glorifying God, three things happen. Number one, we are a part of the most significant thing that ever happens. You know, everybody today, especially young people today, and I got a senior in high school, so uh, you know, I hear a lot about this. And this is a good thing. Everybody wants to make their mark, right? Everybody wants to do something that matters. Uh, usually what people mean when they say that is they want to do something that will make them famous or wealthy. Uh, but, but, but people say that they want to do something that matters. Well, I'm telling you, the, the, the one thing that matters is to bring glory and honor to God. There's not anything you can do that's more important than that. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So God has given you this special status for one reason, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The, the most wonderful thing you can do is to bring honor to God. Number two, uh, when you glorify God, you become like that which you worship. When you honor God, it changes you. The Bible talks about this a lot of different ways. I think about um, uh, for where your treasure is, you know the rest of that verse? Your heart will be also. So when you focus on something, uh, it, it pulls your heart, it changes you. So we ought to worship God because it changes us. And then number three, when, you, when we glorify God, we are satisfied. This isn't something that uh, is, is misery. This is the most satisfying thing that you can do. God has created you to glorify God. And so when you glorify God, you will be satisfied. Psalm 73, look with me on the screen. It says, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, whether you know that about yourself or not, that is true. The one thing you desire is to bring honor to God, to glorify him. And when you do that, you will be satisfied. Now, that's the three things you need to know. Let me tell you quickly one thing you need to do. Uh, have you ever heard of the seesaw principle? I'm old enough that we had seesaws when I was a kid. Now, they're too dangerous for these little, you know, wimpy kids that we have today. But, but <laughs> when I was a kid, we had seesaws. Did you have a seesaw when you were a kid? All right, so you know how this works. Uh, you, you, you know, us older folks. So when, the, when one person goes down, the other person goes up. 
And then when that person goes down, the first person goes up. Now, I, I want you to know this. Either your glory is rising or God's glory is rising. Does that make sense? They're not both going to go up. Either, either your life is about bringing more honor to him or your life is about bringing more focus to yourself, to, to focusing on gratifying your desires. It's, 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 one, it's one or the other. There, there's a tension with, with how I spend my money. There's a tension with how I spend my time. There's a tension with my preferences. Am I going to bring... Am I going to focus on bringing honor to God or am I going to focus on bringing honor to myself? Now, let me, let me tell you the one thing. With that in mind, let me tell you the one thing you need to do. Show me, uh, if, if you will, uh, John 3.30. It's one of the shortest verses in Scripture. It's uh, John the Baptist. Uh, it's the words of John the Baptist, and he's talking about Jesus. And I want us to memorize this. Just seven words. You can do this. Right, so let's read it together aloud. I know you don't like audience participation, but just for a minute, seven words of audience participation. You ready? I'm gonna to come to you if you don't, and I'm gonna bring a microphone to you if you don't do it. All right, so one, two, three, you ready? He must increase, but I must decrease. Now here's the one thing you need to do. This week, just do it for seven days. You don't have to do it again if you don't wanna do it. But would you say with every decision you make, he must increase. It must be more about him. I must decrease. It must be less about me. When you spend money this week, when, you, when you're on the phone and you're talking about somebody, or when you're making any kind of decision, would you for one week say these seven words in your mind? He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. And let us for the next seven days let us live for the glory of God. And what a, what a difference it'll make. What a difference it'll make. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Father, I, I often pray a prayer of confession because I realize at the end of so many days that the whole day has just been about me. And even though I've done some spiritual things, I've prayed prayers, I've I've, I've done spiritual, I, still I recognize that some days it's just really been all about me. But I don't want it to be about me. I want to live for something greater than that. I want to live for something eternal. I want to live for the glory of God. Let us this week say of every decision, he must increase and I must decrease. Now just your head bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if your life is centered solely on you, then today would be a great day for you to come and speak to somebody right here in the front. Because the good news is God could give you a new heart and a fresh start. And because of the forgiveness of Christ, your life can be a testimony, a signpost for the glory of God. You say, well, I don't know what all I have to do. Well, see, Jesus has done it just have to trust and we want to we want to help you with that and so we invite you when we stand and sing to come and do that but the rest of us listen we're going to sing we're going to sing but I want you at some point in these in these verses 
just to close your mouth and stop singing. And I just want you to have this prayer. I want you to say, Lord, this week, remind me with every decision to say he must increase and I must decrease. Father, it's for, it's for you. May our lives burn for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond to the Lord.